everybody. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 27 of the show, where we continue our journey through early Marvel comics, more specifically in the month of June 1963. And it's a really big month. Yeah, very we big. Ha- we this have is part two of, our, of that month for us, isn't it? Part two, and we're not going to finish it this episode. There's more mm. to come next episode. Yep. Because this is the month that they started doing annuals. So, so next episode, you'll be hearing us talk about annuals. So what do you think about annual? Well, let's talk about that next episode then, I guess. Yeah, we can do that next episode. I've got a blurb. Yeah. I wrote wrote a blurb. Okay. But for um, this episode, we've got non-annuals. Right. Starting with Amazing Spider-Man 4. Yay. And since you recapped the Super Scroll (laughs) last episode, I'm going to recap its rival for Best Comic of the Month, Amazing Spider-Man 4. Oh, really? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, Amazing Spider-Man 4 is the debut of the Sandman. Mm Mm-hmm. The Sandman, of course, has the green shirt with the little pinstripes going across it, and he has the blue jeans. And my son, Reddy's like, why do his clothes turn to sand? And I had to explain, well, you know, he had the clothes on in the the accident. So, um, all right. Just to kind of keep a little brief recap going on, Spider-Man is just chilling out being Spider-Man on the side of the building, and he sees three suspicious-looking characters that look like they're casing out a joint, and as soon as the pers- as soon as somebody, a shop owner, lo- locks up their shop and walks away, they, like, sneak up to the door, and so he jumps down as a preemptive grab, stops them from robbing the store, but they're like, we weren't going to rob, but you're assaulting us for no reason. Get a cop over here! And so a police officer comes over, and Spider-Man feels like a right old nut. And uh, he jumps away and feels embarrassed and is all mad at himself. And he figures this is all because J. Jonah Jameson has been running him down in the newspapers. So he goes by the Daily Bugle office and leaves a little prize in J. Jonah Jameson's chair. (laughs) Um, Maybe you should clarify what that means. (laughs) So we're going to find out later that it's like a a swatch of webbing. But, (laughs) you know, in that first panel... You could imagine whatever you want because he That's doesn't right. specify. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, so he leaves the Daily Bugle building and he's swinging around. He sees a guy um, climbing up the ladder to a, a roof of a lower building. Um, and it looks like there are police down at the bottom of the building trying to get him. So he shines a Spider-Man light, goes down there. And this guy is a kind of a rough customer calls himself the Sandman. Every time Spider-Man tries to get him, he turns into sand and just shivers out of his fingers. Or Spider-Man tries to punch him and his fist goes right through him. Or he tries to punch him again and his uh, his body's like rock hard, so he's punching stone. And um, in the scuffle, Spider-Man gets thrown back into um, some you know building stuff, and his mask tears. So rather than risk the uh, loss of his secret identity, Spider-Man runs away. So the Sandman's like, huh, it wasn't so bad. He just keeps on sanding away, goes, robs a bank. Spider-Man sits at home, sews up his costume mask, and listens to the news while doing so. And the Spider and the Sandman's recent escapades are the topic of the night. They run through an origin story about how somebody was, uh, Flint Marco was running away from a prison and was in an atomic testing center on a sandy um, area. And whenever the blast went off, he got fused with the sand, which is just how you get superpowers. Your nuclear bomb goes off and you get fused with whatever you're touching. So I have the power of wooden tables. He has the power of sand. Um, 
Peter is the next morning. He's finished up his costume. Aunt May comes to check on him. He throws on a robe, pretends to be sick so that she doesn't look at what is going on. Um, she's all worried about him. Peter checks the news again. Sandman's still running around catching stuff. Peter um, does you know, feel all better, goes to school the next day. But before he goes to school, he runs by the office of the Daily Bugle a little bit early. On his way into the Daily Bugle office, he gets stopped by Betty Brandt. Betty Brandt says, hey, Peter, can you run these pants into my boss? And he says, that's really <laughs> weird. I just got here. You want me to go get my boss some pants? Why doesn't he have pants? Turns out, J. Jones Jameson came in, sat down on his chair, sat in the web, and now his pants are stuck to the chair. How he got out of his pants? I don't know. But um, Peter gives him his pants and then asks for money for it. And um, Jameson says, no, I'm not going to give you money for giving me my pants. Actually, he was asking for money for his, um, he wanted to do some experiments with his webbing. He wanted to advance on some paycheck. And Jameson's like, no, we don't do that. You, you, you take some pictures, I'll give you some money. So Peter goes to school and Liz Allen, blonde who's been hanging around with Flash Thompson, has, is telling her boyfriend that, you know, Peter has asked her out so many times she's decided to say yes. So she asks Pe- uh, Peter, when are you going to pick me up tonight? He's like, oh, man, I'm fighting the Sandman tonight. <laughs> so he tells Liz, I can't go out with you, Liz. Can we do it some other time? I got to study for a test tomorrow. She's like, you ace every test. You can give up one night of studying. God. So um, meanwhile, while they're sitting in school, Sandman is running from the police. He runs into the school building because that's a good place to hide out and um, runs into their classroom. Now, Peter Parker's not in the classroom right now because he has been sent on an errand for spacing in class. He's having to carry some uh, Coke bottles or something down to the janitor. And janitor's like, hey, thanks for the Coke bottle. Set them over there. Look at this vacuum cleaner I've got. It's a pretty great vacuum. Just going to vacuum some stuff up over here. Pay no attention. Peter's like, okay. Weirdo. And he goes upstairs and runs to his classroom or gets close to his class and hears the scuffling. Now the principal of the school is giving the Sandman what for. He's like, you can't come terrorize my students. I'm the principal Davis. And he's like, you know what? I never got a diploma. Why don't you give me an honorary diploma for graduating your high school? And principal's like, that's against my code of ethics. I'm principal Davis. I'm not going to. And the kid's like, wow, look at the principal. Tell off, uh, the, t- tell off the Sandman. And then Spider-Man comes in and, and punches out the Sandman. And um, he hears the kid's dream. i go, Spidey. Even Flash Thompson, go, Spidey. And uh, so he grabs uh, the Sandman by the head and throws him out of the classroom. And they just start, like, rampaging all around. Kids are in the hallway watching. Yeah, look at it go. And uh, there's... A, tons and tons of magnificent art throughout this fight. It's a fantastic fight sequence. Um, Basically what happens though at the end is um, Spider-Man gets the Sandman, uh, grabs him by the body and thrusts him against like a stair uh, staircase banister. And um, that causes the Sandman to explode all over the floor. Uh, He starts reforming and envelops Spider-Man. Spider-Man turns himself into a ball, a big old sandy ball, and he rolls down the stairs into the basement. In the basement, he gets a power drill and tries to drive it through Sandman. Sandman's like, gosh, you haven't learned my tricks yet? And he turns himself all sandy. And then Spider-Man, with his spider speed, grabs that vacuum cleaner, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and vacuums up the Sandman, traps him in the vacuum cleaner. And he's like, great. I won that fight. Crap, I didn't get any pictures, and I need the money. So he's like, hmm, hey, look, 
there's this fire smothering sand. I'll just throw it in the air and take pictures of me dancing through clouds of sand. That'll that'll be the same thing. And he does. And uh, outside the school, J. Jonah Jameson has shown up. Police have shown up. Um, Spider-Man comes up to the roof. He uh, lets the canister holding Sandman down on a web. He doesn't go down himself because he figures Jameson will talk him into, like, you know, giving him crap, maybe even unmasking him, and he doesn't want to deal with all that. He goes back inside the school and um, changes to Peter. Jameson finds him. Peter gives him the role of film. And uh, it's a happy day. And look, he can go with Liz tonight. So he goes, Liz says, hey, Liz, by the way. And Liz says, yeah, right. As if. Step off. And, um... Flash yucks it up, and Peter, getting mad at being laughed at and put off by the girl he wants to date, almost punches Flash, but then half of his body turns into Spider-Man. He decides not to. So um, <laughs> he walks away. And, uh, yeah, if I remember right, there's this really cool, like, wide panel where he's, like, walking through city and, like, all the different kinds of opinions about Spider-Man are there. And it ends on a really somber note of him standing in, like, the shadows of Spider-Man or something. Wondering why he should be Spider-Man or blah, blah, blah. Like he does every issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah this yeah. is, uh, this is again, a highlight issue for me. Like, one and two were kind of shaky starts, but three was really good. And this one also rode really high for me. What would you think of it? Was it two, Dr. Octopus? Or three was, was Dr. Three? Octopus. Oh, what the heck was two? Vulture and Tinker. Oh. Yeah, three and four are definitely way better than one and two. I've always loved the Sandman. Um, and it's great to see, like, the Ditko version. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more familiar with him from maybe the 80s or 90s where he's a little less villainous and a little more kind of work for hire or, you know, he'll ultimately do the right thing kind of guy. Yeah, I remember some of that. Yeah, I didn't read a whole lot of that when it was happening. Uh-huh. I've seen more of it as I've gone through my read through, but I haven't really been giving like the Silver Sable stuff a, uh, a read right now. So I haven't seen all of it. And he's on the mm-hmm. Avengers for a hot minute, too. Yeah, he was. Um, but yeah, this is just more like straight up thug, I guess. Um well, he's just yeah, got I out of prison, it. so I can kind of see that he's not really like feeling that great about life. And mm-hmm. I think it's a reasonable metamorphosis. It's a very cool power. It's a very cool power visually. It's also a very cool power in terms of like giving the hero something to really work at to try and beat. Mm-hmm. Um, sadly, he was beaten with a vacuum cleaner, but that's beside the point. Uh, <laughs> I like him. And, you know, like his costume, like you were commenting on his costume, which is not really a costume. It's just what he was wearing at the time of his accident right um i've always thought it was cool though because he's just wearing pants and a striped shirt but now it's kind of like yeah but they're not giving us super villains still with costumes still but i'll let that slide because he's looked like this for so long that it's kind of iconic anyway and when he does get a costume it's gonna be kind of terrible yeah yeah who would even want a sandman costume um i love the cover i love the idea behind the cover Mm-hmm. Um, it made me think of like how they do hologram covers now that like fake the motion and like who needs fake motion holograms you can just like do multiple panels it's, this is like this maybe the second time we've had a cover like this with the Ant-Man getting older one also being kind yeah, of panels yeah 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 that was a good one too I like when they do the panel thing because it's just like um, you know you get more of the same thing on the inside but it's like a story before you even start the issue mm-hmm. it's very cool now, I read this comic, you know, a hundred times when I was a kid. Uh, uh-huh. If I haven't said it before, I, I had a collection of the first 20 issues of Amazing Spider-Man as a kid. And I read through those things any number of times. Um, it was not until, like, recently, maybe when I covered it on Amazing Spider-Man Classics, or maybe when Lily and I covered it on Avengers Inspirations, 
Mm-hmm. But that first splash page is a split screen panel. Yeah. Yeah. One side is him robbing and being shot by the cops. And the other side is him getting punched by Spider-Man at school. Right. And I just, I never realized it. It's just, yeah, it's, it's a really, really cool, cool idea. It's very cool. Yeah. Um, this beginning though, well, not though, like I'm saying, I'm going to hate it or something. I like it. It was funny. But part of me always does wonder like how the whole vigilante thing works because we know it can't work. Not reasonably. Really. Not really. So whether he waited till they went in the store to rob it or stop them before, either way, they're probably not going to ultimately last long in jail. And so why not just stop them before they do property damage and punch them in the face? And who really cares if they, you know, cry, let me go and call the police? Like, you're Spider-Man. Just do whatever you want. Yeah, that was kind of my thought, too. He wasn't really wrong. They just made him feel really stupid. And he's a yeah. teenager. So I kind of feel like... You know, he's young and impressionable, and people's mean words are hurting him. Yes. Um, I felt so. the same way. So it's like, it, since it's Spider-Man, it's kind of okay. Like, if this was Batman, I'd be, like, scratching my head. But uh, And then the other thing that was okay, because he's 16, is he calls himself a superhero. Um, I, think it, I think the word superhero is mentioned at least, like, three or four times in this book, and at least two of them are by Spider-Man himself. Okay. Um, and I don't think they've said the word superhero in our Marvel readings so far. You may be right, um, other than narration, maybe. Maybe, but it's just a term. I've I've always felt kind of icky when you had like Superman standing there talking to like a Teen Titan and going, "If you want to be a hero, you have to do this." Like, who are you to say you're a hero? You know, let somebody else say you're a hero, right? It's right. a little weird. But then they kind of use it as a job title, which is okay, I guess. But in the case of Spider Man, I actually. Sort of like that he has this idea of what a superhero is and he's trying to do it because, again, 16, immature. Yeah, I like that. I like that, too. Um, A fine way to talk to a superhero. When I was doing my Superman read-through, I realized how much the word super was associated with him and Uh his power set and his power levels. Yeah. And um, then when when you had the Legion of Superheroes and they were the Legion of Heroes associated with Superboy, Uh I feel like that really did a lot to use the word superhero mm-hmm. in a more general sense. I'm sure right. they were calling him superheroes in the past and I just don't know about it, but I feel like the term superhero uh, is used a lot more about comics than in the comics, if that makes sense. But they do use it in the comics and I always read it and, and grimace a little, but then I just tell myself, I hope they just mean that in a, in a way to quickly identify what kind of, you know, profession they're talking about versus yeah. them actually thinking we're training to be heroes, you know? Right. Right. That's sort of icky. But anyway, again, with Spider-Man in this particular case, I do think it's kind of funny. It does come off as a little arrogant on maybe cause he is a little arrogant about himself sometimes. So we'll find a way to talk to a superhero, you know, when they're like yelling at him to, for the police to arrest him and stuff. And I was thinking, you know, he went to go get those guys and mm-hmm. it all went bad. They blew him off. He tells, um, the Sandman to stop and the Sandman blows him off. So whenever Peter goes after the Sandman and has a lot of efforts to try to take him down really quickly, like a lot of different stuff that's kind of violent, it, mm-hmm. there was probably a lot of anger fueling all that. Yeah. Like he's like, hold it, gruesome. Nobody gives Spider-Man the bums rush. Sure, it's corny 60s dialogue, but you know, it's like he's tired of being blown off here. Yeah. Um, so you've totally ruined this J. Jonah Jameson panel for me because I didn't think about like that office thing at all, really? Because I knew he was going to leave like a 
web on his chair because that's what he does, right? Mm-hmm. But this is the first time he's ever done anything like that. So I wonder if 1963, if you're a kid reading this and he says, but I'll just leave a little souvenir for him to prove I was here. And then you're just thinking, huh, what? <laughs> what horrible thing could he have left? <laughs> I put a tech in teacher's chair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But then we get to, you know, Marco. Um, who made Spider-Man's uh, outfit exactly the first time? He did. Right? So Which why is, can he suddenly not sew? That's weird. Yeah, I don't know either. It also made me think, okay, he sews up his mask here. Does that mean Spider-Man's going around with a face full of crossing seams? I think that would have been super awesome if they actually did that. Maybe even just for a couple issues until he redoes an entire new mask or something. Right. But they didn't. But they yeah, did I was thinking the same thing. Because it's ripped like right down the middle. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of felt like, you know, he was he was... You know, angry, he was upset, he's like fighting the Sandman, bam, 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 and then he gets thrown away, and he like has the um, uh, s- the mask ripped. It's just kind of like, you know, it just bleeds all of his emotion out, snaps him back to humanity, and also, um, Aunt May is selling shoelaces for 10 cents. Yeah, Stan's doing the same thing that he does in Fantastic Four that I enjoy a lot, when they have these little fantasy tangents. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we get this whole big, this whole deal about what could Peter happen Bar- if he goes yeah. out there and gets his identity yeah. spilled? Exactly, and we get to see it, so that's just fun. Um, this fight, this first fight, was not quite as good as you know. Nothing will be as good as Doctor Octopus slapping him in the face and throwing him out the window, but <laughs> it was it was pretty close. Like he did nothing really to the Sandman here, and then uh, I like how the Sandman can just jump off a roof and like kind of float down in sprinkle form and and you know recombine his body and just walk away. That's just like he's just a powerful dude. He, he throughout this issue up until the school scene he is just kind of a juggernaut he's mm-hmm. just going from place to place doing what he wants to do not getting stopped stealing right. all the money and he just keeps on moving along we keep on checking in on his motion like the sandman is this force right and then he goes to hide out in the school and that's where everything goes down uh it's, it's really pretty effective um i the even though the fight itself wasn't that great um, Ditko's art with describing the fight was was pretty cool. And the bottom of page five, where Sandman jumps off a building, mm-hmm. and those four little panels, mm-hmm. that just like animates the oh, entire yeah. sequence in my mind. Oh, yeah. I mean, Ditko, this is a great, I mean, obviously because he created it, but this is these powers are just great for Ditko's style because he really does a great job mm-hmm. um, all around with Sandman, I think. I love the just like the turning to sand and then falling and reforming at the bottom and even that last panel where like sand is continuing to fall and drift onto his head as he's walking away. It's just all really, really good. And you know, what's interesting is it's a little different than what he'll be doing someday because Sandman to me, like when I was reading him, was more about expanding like Reed Richards and getting big sand hammer fists and all this. And this guy's just more like normal sized. I mean, big because he's a muscly guy, but just normal sized dude walking around and letting people punch through his face and jumping yeah. off buildings. He does, he's not trying to be like stretchy and a monster and like Clayface or something. No, no, he's not. And I feel like that, you know, develops over time. There is one particular issue where Spider Man fights Sandman at the beach. Oh, well, that would be do it. Yeah. Yeah. And he just incorporates all the sand. Um, I'm not going to say that's the first time he ever got big or anything, but that's one time that he got big that I remember specifically. Uh, I don't know. I, I'll be curious to see how Ditko does this Sandman again in um, about 13, 14 issues time, whenever they have the end of Spider-Man trilogy, because Sandman comes back then 
Um, he's also on the Sinister Six, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, yeah, but there's a really cool series of Sandman fights that are, I think, a bit more visually uh, different to this. He he turns his finger into a key, which mm-hmm. I love. Um, the torch is going to turn his finger into a key <laughs> in another issue. And yes, freaking hate it. Yes, but this is pretty. This is great because you know what, sand is a solid. Yes, you know what, flame isn't. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I feel like we haven't seen Aunt May in a while. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but she does a little like caring. Oh well, you know what? Maybe she cared for him too after he got beat by Doc Ock. I can't remember now. But um, she was kind of on the sidelines in that sequence. He was just kind of sitting there moping, and she was just sort of like in the background. Yeah, like we see a panel of her every once in a while when she's smiling because he made money or something. But uh-huh. this is her like kind of taking care of her nephew. So that was a cool little moment, even though he wasn't really sick. Um, and we get the whole, you know, yellow sweater vest again and the glass of milk and his wholesome life. So I don't think we've seen that since, you know, his origin story. Yeah. And um, in the middle of all that, we get more Sandman. And it just <clears throat> the Sandman pile over the money with the little face. Uh-huh. And it's like, how is Ditko such a genius? This is fantastic art. And and they give him powers from radioactivity. Right. So now, you know, of course we've had oh Hulk was gamma. That's still radiation. Though, yeah, it's still it? radiation. And then we've got the spider bite, and now we just have straight up if you're exposed to radiation, something could happen to you. So kind of like radiation, magnetism, and transistors now we've got. <laughs> where, you know, just things happen. Yep. We don't really explain it. We don't need to explain it. Radiation. But I hadn't thought about the fact that Aunt May has been off the pages so much. Like, I think the last time we really got Aunt May time was in the first half of issue one, whenever um, she was hurting for money and he was trying to get a job uh-huh. to pay for the money and she was hawking her jewelry. And, yeah. oh, issue two, when he actually solves the problems of the money, uh, ends with a scene of her like, you know, I'm going to take you out and buy you the nicest hat you can wear or something like that. Yeah, but see, in both those cases, it was kind of just like a panel of her, of them showing her happy about money or sad about money. Oh, that's true. You said like, earlier, yeah. Like now she's, you know, we got how many panels? Like six, seven, eight, nine, ten panels of her talking and taking care of him. So it's like, oh, good, she's still around, I guess. This, you're right. This might be the first time we've actually gotten to get some real Aunt Manus. Oh, I didn't think about that. Was she even. She, yeah, I guess because, like, even like in his the origin whole story. and everything, yeah. She kind of just stands there while he, you know, gets happy about his uh, new birthday present or whatever, or his uh, telescope, microscope, right. microscope. So she tells him to take his umbrella, uh-huh. and they, they tease him for it later. Um, okay, so J. Jonah Jameson shows up, and it mentions in the um, narration that he's the head of Now Magazine, and I'm just like, oh yeah, Now Magazine, that's a thing. I wonder <laughs> how many more times that's going to get mentioned, right? Because Now um, Magazine just kind of goes away. We get introduced to Betty Brandt. Betty Brandt. Not really, but a little bit. Her first appearance, anyway. Notable. But, you know, I was thinking about this. First of all, what, what are your thoughts on, on Betty Brandt? Well, in general, I don't really have a lot of thoughts. I mean, I know that they dated, and I know she's a secretary, and I think that's as far as it goes for me. I don't, okay. He's not. She's not really like one of his notable girlfriends, like Gwen Stacy or Black Cat or Mary right. Jane. But I know she lasted a little while, I think. She does, and she comes and goes over the history. She actually has a lot of – she does some really interesting stuff over the decade. She has kind of a storied history. and um, But one thing I like about her introduction here is that she's not immediately the love interest for Peter. Mm-hmm. She's brought in. They meet. 
It's very casual. Unlike some other comics, though, they're not going to start mooning over each other and wishing they could get married. Well, at this point, she could very easily be like 30 and he's a teenager because they don't really. And they address that in the letter columns in the near future, just how old she is. Turns out she's actually um, a year younger than Peter, but she does not look it. He calls her Miss Brant, though, you know. I don't know that I would do that if it was someone my age in an office, but hey, you never know. Um, I know where I know her from. I know her as Ned Leeds' wife or girlfriend when he was exactly. possibly the Hobgoblin. So that's when I knew she was already long done being his girlfriend at that point. Yeah, yeah. She sticks around. Yeah. We actually might get to the end of their romance. I don't think we'll ever get to the Hobgoblin, but I think we might actually... <laughs> the, the end of their romance is in the realm of possibility for our show. I like the Hobgoblin, darn it. Okay. I, I like the Hobgoblin, too. And, and really, one of the things about my Spider-Man read there I did last year was just like reading those for that first Hobgoblin era for the first time. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that was so great. It really was. Okay. Um, surprise, surprise. J. Jonah does not give advance. I want yeah. I you know like two issues ago they had paid their entire mortgage for a year maybe they should have just paid it for six months and kept some of that money but hey whatever. Also, I kind of don't like the storytelling choice here of having Peter go asking for money just to play with his webs. Maybe it goes to that whole like arrogance that you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. But like you don't go. I mean, you don't go asking for extra money ahead of time unless you're in dire straits. Maybe that's just my life experience poking in there. Whereas he's 16. Well, and he is trying to create a webbing that can stop the Sandman. So maybe he feels like oh, he'd be he'd be helping. Isn't that what he's doing? Or maybe I'm just guessing that. Maybe I'm just assuming that. I don't know. He just said experiments with my webbing. But oh I'll, yeah, he didn't I'll take say that, that headcanon did he? that it was a wow. Maybe I was just giving him too much credit. Yeah, because he actually doesn't even realize that Sandman can go through his webs until later in the story. Hmm. Um, so here we go again with me suspecting that Peter's bullies aren't nearly as mean as we've always thought they were, or at least I've always thought they were, because now we have um, Liz agreeing to go on a date with him, which would never happen if they were as mean and evil as we usually paint bullies. Mm-hmm. So it's like maybe Peter just needs to figure out how to be normal and stuff. I don't know. More social. More social. Also, I feel like dating dynamics in, in comics are always kind of weird. And I, I think it's there's some mixture of both at being a different time. And so dating just works differently. And also Stan and being like a 50-year-old man at this point and not knowing how it works either. But like nowadays, I feel like if you're with someone, you're with someone. Mm-hmm. And you don't have dates that you do on the side while you're with that person. Oh, yeah. And she's supposedly dating Flash. Yeah. And on top of that, isn't it just kind of weird? Like, I was a little bit surprised by this panel because it's like, wow, he he figured out a date off screen. Mm-hmm. That was kind of dissatisfying because here we have him established as this big nerd, probably can't get girls. It would have been neat to see him like, actually figure out how to score a date. Yeah. And she says he's been asking him several times. Like, he's gone up to Liz and said, hey, you want to do anything tonight? Which means they've had conversations. Uh-huh. Maybe it's when Flash isn't around, Liz is nicer. Could be. Yeah, um, I don't know. There was one last note I was going to say about Jonah before we get too far away from that. Um, on the bottom of page nine, the very mm-hmm. last panel with uh, the one in the middle, mm-hmm. Jonah says, once I get those pics of Spider-Man, I'll run them next to pics of Sandman with a caption reading, are they the same man? What a picture <laughs> that will make. And... <laughs> 
This is the beginning of a trope of Jonah like falsely associating Spider-Man with other villains. Uh-huh. But at this point, he's still framing it as a question. He's not accusing them. But he's saying, are they the same man? Like based on what though? Yeah, I don't know. That's what's funny. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's okay. ridiculous because he just hates Spider-Man. It just it's it's a, a distinction that I like, and it's a distinction that uh, Jonah actually makes a good point on, like way 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 down the road. I think it's around Inferno, and um, the bugle runs a headline: "Demons invade New York" or something like that. And um, Jonah's like, "This isn't journalism. This isn't the way you run a paper. Change the ending to an ex- to a question mark, and then you have a headline because." Saying demons invade New York is reporting a fact that can't be verified. Asking if demons are invading New York is, you know, a journalism-worthy mm-hmm. sentence. I feel, I feel like it's a cool distinction. But anyways. Well, I, I still to this day don't know if the Daily Bugle is supposed to be a rag or a legit paper. <laughs> because it's like on the one hand, he seems to be able to get away with these headlines and these accusations with no proof whatsoever because we know they're not true. Right. But on the other hand, he's got guys like, you know, Ben Ulrich or whatever working there who are supposedly hard-nosed journalists. So they wouldn't be working for a rag paper, I would imagine. But I don't know. Or or that editor they eventually get seems to be a legit guy. I also um, feel like in these early days, it's the bugle is just a pastiche. It's just yeah. like the idea that reporters can say whatever they want to and they verify what they want to and they can make they can twist things to sound like the truth and you'll never know. And I, I've, I've wondered sometimes if this was actually intended to be a satire on the, the news reporting media. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. We're going to find out later that Liz actually has developed a crush on Peter. I forgot to mention that we were talking about Liz. So I don't know when that actual crush starts. I know when it starts manifesting, but I don't know when she actually starts having those feelings. Well, it looks like it happens on the third panel of page 10, in my opinion. But that's just headcanon again. Okay, you think she's? I thought she might be smirking at him there for uh, for getting. It's hard to say because her face is not very detailed, but he looks super sad, and she's like looking at him. So that could be, and it looks I, like she's I like smiling. That. I don't know. Maybe she's happy that she upset him, and that's like part of being into somebody, especially when you're immature. And then we have some more fantastic Sandman art, mm-hmm. and then we get Chekhov's vacuum cleaner. Oh God! Yes, I saw that a mile away too. I mean, that's just. What else could that be? But Right. But, hey, you got to establish it, I guess. I don't know that they needed to establish it because if you just say you're in a janitor's closet and there's a vacuum there, I, went, I wouldn't have gone, where did that vacuum come from? Convenient. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, that's where a vacuum would be. But it's okay. Um, I love, love, love Spider-Man's entrance here. In, this, um, in the classroom? In the classroom. That panel is just fantastic. Yeah. Um, I wish the principal would kind of been like, you know, I don't have the power to give out diplomas, right? Because I'm not sure that's where they come from. Principals, <laughs> principals, desk drawers. I mean, I'm pretty sure they have to be issued by the city, but whatever. Or by the... The, 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 yeah, the district. The, yeah, the district. Um, it's also kind of a weird request, but whatever. Yeah. It was sort of humorous. Um, the top of page 12, we have the beginning of Flash's love affair with Spider-Man. Yeah. And it's always cool when Spider-Man's saving his own people and they don't know who he is. And it's like you're, right. you're, you're saving people that are mean to you all the time. That's kind of fun. Yeah, it's it's cool. And um, Spider-Man really quickly starts to figure out how to fight Sandman. To like use his spider sense to figure out when he's hardening his face and using that to his to fly, Sandman's disadvantage. Mm-hmm. But do this, you know the Easter egg lurking in the last panel of page 12? I 
don't. Bottom right corner, mm-hmm. the uh, girl with the big smile on her face. Mm-hmm. That's Jessica Jones. Oh, that's cool. Um, later on down the road, when um, Peter unmasks for the new Avengers, and Jessica is talking about her, uh, you know, how they went to high school together. Um, right about that. It might be a different issue, but there's a um, flashback to when she had a crush on Peter in high school and they pull this particular panel and zoom in on her right there. Now there's a little bit of a unreliable narrator problem because in another part and Josh Bertone brought my attention to this. So thank you, Josh in another place where she tells her origin story. I think the first place she tells her origin story, she talks about how um, she was in a coma for months and it was the events of Galactus's invasion that actually she woke up to. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this particular part, whenever Sam is, was uh, attacking Spider-Man, she also says at that point that she already had her powers. So oh. those don't really quite line up, but it could be her bad memory and there are ways to, there are ways to no prize it. But, um, but yeah. Well, why didn't she help him? I think she actually addressed that in the, in the telling of the story. Oh, okay. I'm not sure what it was. Maybe it was just like, he had it under control or whatever. Someone will write us. Yes. Did you know that she also marries Captain America? Jessica Jones? Yeah. Marries Cap? Mm-hmm. I did but not know that. It was in a what if, though, so oh well. Oh. <laughs> it's like, was Luke Cage Captain America at some point? But it's like, <laughs> you know, how many wives has Cap had? So I, I, I like to count the what ifs anyway. Um, the what ifs are fun. Yeah, they are. I think it was what if Jessica Jones joined the Avengers or something like that. But anyway... Uh, but like you said in your summary, great fight all around. I liked it. Yeah, I don't uh, have a lot to say about the details of it, but there are so no. many fantastic visuals. Especially that the four panels on page 14 where he punches through um, Sandman's chest, and then Sandman, for instead of just turning to Sand, actually solidifies. Catches his arm. Catches his arm, headbutts him really hard, and then does Twice. it again. And then the third time, Spider-Man tilts just enough so where he headbutts a stale rail or a a stair rail and like his head explodes into sand. I think that's awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. But anyway, (laughs) it's astonishing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love the bit with the drill too, because I myself was going, that's not going to do anything. Um, Right. But then it turned out he totally knew it wasn't going to do anything. So it's okay. He just wanted him to phase so that he could suck him up in a vacuum cleaner. And there's a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. It does have like a super large capacity tank, which, you know, you got to hold like an entire man worth of sand volume in it. So that, you know, maybe so, unusual. So now this, it's funny because this issue and the next and the next one we cover, I kind of feel like both of them were like, oh, the end. But then the pages keep going. <laughs> okay. Not in a bad way. Just like usually. In this one, not in a bad way. Yeah. Usually when the bad guy is defeated, it's pretty much over. But in this case, we get this whole, like, J. Jonah trying to order the cops to arrest Spider-Man. Don't forget the faking the photos. Oh, yes. That's hilarious. I actually thought that was hilarious. the air and, like, punches the sand and and it's just snapping photos. I think it's pretty funny. I think that J. Jonah would have bought those pictures whether Sandman existed or not. (laughs) Probably would have. (laughs) Right? I think he's so desperate for photos, it doesn't really matter. Um, But I just noticed that... um, they make sure the cops point or the, the cops point of view is that Spider-Man's all right by them, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that's always going to be the case, but it's not, it's not, but it is in these early ones, but this and the next issue, they kind of go out of their way to just be like, we cops are on your side, superhero. 
Right. I don't know if that's just like a respect for cops or if they want to just make sure the good guys are supported by other good guys or what. And that may be, that may be uh, catering to the comics code. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. If you're going to have your heroes questioned by the public, you got to have it reinforced that they're good guys. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, and that will get done away with, or at least played with and, and, and blurred a lot sooner than the comics code will go away. But, um, but at least in these early sixties, when the comics code is less than a decade old, um, they're, they're still towing the line a lot on that. Yeah. Um, on page 20 panels four through six, the, the second half of the page. Uh-huh. So Peter gets really angry. Yeah. Almost throttles flash decides not to and backs off. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Hey, look, it's the last Jedi. <laughs> you know, it would be cool is if he just realized he probably could punch flash and not kill him because he punches bad guys all the time. and doesn't kill them. Mm, yeah. And if he did beat flash in a fight, you know, they actually finally do get to a point where he and flash have a, have a, f- uh-huh. sorry, there was a sound problem there, but when they get to the thing with a, f- they actually do fight. Um, there's a really big deal made about how Peter's so careful to guard his punches. But I feel like if he just would beat Flash up or sock him one, that they'd be best friends. So he should just if Flash just saw he could, you know, stand up for himself. Yeah, because that that's how men respect each other, especially immature men in high school. So just just get it over with, Peter. I mean, two seconds ago you were gonna knock up or knock up. That's a bad expression. <laughs> um, knock over uh, those three guys that were gonna rob the place, and they're just regular old humans, right? Right. I feel like you've punched humans before, so just go ahead and punch Flash. And then you guys will both be best friends, and you'll have less problems in your life. But anyway, and I do love the uh, the wide panel on the middle of page twenty one. Mm-hmm. Dicko does this a few times, where Peter's just inundated with the criticisms of the crowd. Yeah, yeah, that's something they did in the Golden Age too, at least in Batman. But uh, it's like a quick way to get an entire feedback of the entire world in one panel, kind of. And I I, I kind of got something in my bonnet when I was reading this because. You have a variety of, of opinions about Spider-Man here, and a lot of them are, you know, questioning him, thinking that he may be neurotic or crazy for doing what he does. And mm-hmm. and this is one of the things that made Spider-Man so attractive, mm-hmm. that he wasn't a cookie-cutter superhero, that he was more complex, but also that the world around him was more complex. And he was having a hard time making his way through it because he's just a dude trying to do his, you know, live his best life. And this sort of storytelling was so attractive and so welcomed by readers in 1963. Yes. And then not that Superman is Spider-Man, but this is exactly the kind of storytelling they were doing with Superman in the two recent films is that he's just a dude with powers trying to live his best life and do his best thing. And the world around him is questioning him and wondering if he's great and all these other things. Yeah. His father doesn't know, you know, his father's scared of what might happen if if he uses his powers and gets, you know, seen by the authorities that try to take him away. Um, you know, the the politics are questioning if Superman should even exist after, you know, Luthor starts making him look bad. So, you know, I feel like Superman hasn't changed so much from the 1960s. He's still Superman. But the world around him was shown very, very differently in those films. I feel like that's a big difference that, I don't know, just didn't go down well. But it goes down well for Spider-Man. I think not just the films, but even before the films they're doing in the comic books, too. Like, you can't just have superpowers and be respected anymore. Like, Birthright was Uh the the entire plot was, like, Lex Luthor turning the world against him easily because he's a creepy alien. 
you know. Right. Uh, New 52. He was uh, very, uh, you know, not loved at first as he runs around in his blue jeans and tortures yeah, politicians I, I, and stuff. So I suspect that a lot of the tone of New 52 was actually as a result of the developing and then released films. But yeah. Well, I mean, I just, I, you know, as much as we say that Marvel steals from DC, I do think that in turn, once they realize that some of these twists and stuff that they put on DC's iconic characters that were, it was actually working and outselling them, that DC in turn adopted that same thing sometimes. Right. The whole real Try- world, real world. Um, how would they really react to a guy who can blow you up with his eyes or whatever? Right. We know how Batman would react. Yeah, yeah like, sort of well, there's a great example. Weapons. There's a great example. Police are all corrupt, eventually, in the Batman world, where before they weren't. You know, they were good, mm-hmm. just like they are in this book. So, yeah, it just gets darker and darker and darker as we get more and more cynical, I guess. Um, and speaking of dark and cynical, we end this story with Peter wrestling with his whole power, responsibility, conviction. He's like, you know, can I keep on going? Should I give it up? But I can't. I have. I must have had these powers for some sort of reason. Um, I have to keep being Spider-Man. I hope that maybe the world will understand. Yeah. And this is the fourth issue. And I feel like he's done this four times at least, but I could be wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, I don't think he's done it explicitly four times. But no, this he, is the biggest, definitely the biggest, you know, soul crunching time. And it doesn't help that the panel prior, every single person reading the paper were unhappy with him. Like nobody was on his side. So right. that kind of sucked. Like I like the little kids too. You wish you were Spider-Man. Nah, give me the human torch any day. That was I cool. That. Um, poor Spidey, yeah. Only the cops love him. But, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Only, only, right now, only the cops love Spider-Man and Flash. Flash loves Spider-Man. Right, the kids do. Um, yeah. but, but speaking of Superman, mm-hmm. Jerry Siegel wrote our next comic. I did not notice that. It's credited to Joe Carter. He had to use a oh. pseudonym because he was actually working for DC at the time. Um, and he was still, you know, he, he has a straining of credits that go through this period. There is one month where he didn't do a Superboy comic. And I'm wondering if he was doing this issue and the next issue during that month. But um, he didn't want DC to know that he was stepping out. Well, that's why I didn't notice it, because they didn't actually credit him for it. But, um, yeah, so we're talking about Strange Tales number 112. And it's my turn. Yay. Yay. <laughs> um. So it starts out with the Human Torch flying home, probably from some Fantastic Four mission. I can't remember if they say why. And so it's Glendale where he lives. He and Sue live. And he's flying by and he notices that the crowd isn't worshiping him properly. (laughs) So he smites them. (laughs) So he's like, well, that's weird. They must just be used to my godlike abilities. So... I'm going to do some awesome stuff in the air to really wow them. So he writes his name in fire and he does like this big show of like creating a bullseye and then using himself as the arrow. And I don't know what else, just a bunch of stuff. But all that really does is make them all kind of like scowl at him and stuff. So that's really weird. He decides can't possibly be, can't possibly be because I'm being obnoxious because I'm a superhero and they all love me. Right. So he goes home and his sister shows him or turns on the radio and says this guy this J. Jonah Jameson light guy um, on the radio really has it in for you and the guy's talking about what a showboat Human Torch is and that why should he be worshipped like a hero why should he be more important than like a cop who who volunteers to put his life on the line and doesn't have 
magical superpowers to hide behind. You know, he puts his life on the line. Whereas the torch, you know, who even elected him? He just accidentally maybe got powers. I don't know if they, they know how they got their powers. But anyway, and the torch is like, that's not me at all, even though I was just doing that two pages ago. So I'm going to show how mature I am by being a huge hothead and going down there and confronting him. So he goes to the radio station and confronts the guy. It doesn't go over well because, in fact, the dude is not wrong pretty much in any way about the Human Torch. And he gets mad and accidentally flames on, and that just makes things worse, so he flies away. Meanwhile, we cut to a new bad guy, a superhero with a full-blown supervillain, I'm sorry, with a full-blown supervillain costume even, and his name is the Eel. And he is robbing a scientist's house or laboratory or something with no particular intention other than deciding to himself that there must be something in here that's worth something. So he finds a bag and the bag says, like, do not open, totally worth something, I think. And so he grabs it and escapes before the scientist can get him because he's all slippery like an eel. And he gets into his his eel copter and he flies home to his eel mansion and goes into his (laughs) eel cave and he opens up the bag and it's a little cube that kind of looks like, you know, when the TARDIS is in shutdown mode. And it's got a switch on it. And he's like, I probably shouldn't flip the switch because I have no idea what this thing is. And I don't want to blow up myself or something. But I know it's valuable because the scientist made it. So right. meanwhile, the scientist reports the theft. And it turns out it's not really – I don't know if it's valuable, but it sure is destructive because it's like this thermonuclear device or something, thermonuclear detonator or a nuclear bomb housed in this little tiny square. The problem is it's designed to go off if you open the bag for some reason. And if you don't flip the switch within the first 30 seconds, it's going to go off in an hour. So that's a very specific device. Um, And anyway, they announced that all over the news, like, please, eel, or if anybody's seen the eel, you know, tell him about this thing that he stole because he's obviously clueless. And the eel tries to hawk it, and he learns himself what he has, and he's like, oh, gosh, I got to do something about this because I don't want to explode either. So he goes off to like figure out where to put it. Meanwhile, the human torch is working with the police and the scientists. And here's some science kids. I don't really get how this works, but the scientist gives the human torch some sort of transistor thing that combined with his own flame allows him to sense the vibrations of the eel. Okay. Science kids. Right. And so he goes about doing that. The first person he comes across is the thing who has a letter from the eel? So his human vibra- or so his flame vibrations sense the or the, his flame. Wow, this is really hard. His flame sensed the eel's vibrations on the letter. So scratch one, <laughs> scratch one. That doesn't work. Um, and he keeps going, and he eventually finds the eel, and they get into a fight because they have to. And the eel swears to the human torch that he don't worry. He took care of the device. He put her far, far away somewhere. I'm not going to tell you where, though, because I'm a big jerk supervillain. So they fight for a while. The eel has, like, this gun that can pull water out of the ground. And it douses the the, uh, human torch's flame. But then the human torch, the hero that he is, tries to tackle him anyway. And he gets shocked for his trouble. But the shock, like, reignites his flame. And now he's the human torch again. And the eel sort of surrenders at that point and says, I put it over... In the south corner here on this farmland where there's nobody or anything. And just then the cops show up and they say, well, actually, there's an orphanage full of the cutest, most pathetic children in the world. So you really need to go take care of this. So the human torch flies over, grabs the box, really has no time to do anything because the hour's up. So he flies straight up. It explodes. But the human torch has the ability to absorb heat. 
So he tries his best to absorb all the thermonuclear whatever bomb heat. And then he releases it by flying higher and going supernova, sort of exploding, which, of course, extinguishes his flame. He falls to his death, except, of course, the Fantastic Four show up to back him up. They catch him in the Fantastic Car. They take him back to the lab. It's touch and go. The thing is really feeling bad about all the times he was mean to the torch. The radio guy's really taking back all his words. No, he is a hero. He just sacrificed his life. He didn't have to do that. I sure hope he lives. And he lives. And everybody's happy. And they all properly worship him again. And then we end the story with the thing kind of like mentally taking back all the things he said and going back to being a jerk to Johnny and Johnny loving every second of it. Awesome. Awesome. The only thing I'm going to change is that... It wasn't a orphanage that was where the bomb was going to blow up. It was the Veterans Hospital. Oh, well. Which they then tied into the whole self-sacrificing thing, like a veteran. Oh, uh, like, yeah. That's probably important. Yeah, well, I don't know how important it is, but it's the, the story used it. Um, so this was the first expanded Torch story, right? Was it longer than usual? Oh, well, see, now, now I'm, no, doing, I, I'm doing the whole Asgard thing and just talking out of my butt without actually doing research. Let me see. <laughs> No, it was only 13 pages. I'm it's a liar. only 13 pages. Okay. It, just, it feels like it ends. It feels like it's going to end and then it keeps on going. You're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It did this whole like, you know, everybody loves Johnny sequence for, 12, for like three pages. I wrote down a few things on this. I don't know how much of them I need to say. Um, I feel like the newscaster guy was an attempt to emulate J. John Jameson. Absolutely. Not so successfully. Uh, I agree with your point that the police are the only ones who love Johnny. I like how they they just show up at his house. Yeah. Just to, we, just to say, we just called to say we love you. That's right. And um, him getting so upset that he uncontrollably flames on, that was a bit unusual. I don't think we've seen that before. No, and it reminds me of Sue getting so upset she uncontrollably turns invisible. Right. We've seen that a couple times or the other way around. If she's invisible, but something surprises her and she pops into visibility again. Yeah. Seems to be a, a switch that she accidentally flicks. Um, I did want to ask you, because I know that he's kind of in your wheelhouse as a villain. What's your experience with the eel? Um, I don't know. Is this the only eel or is there another eel? This is that eel. This is that eel? I don't know that I, I can't think of any specific stories with the eel. I mean. Well, he's just part of the serpent society. Yeah, serpent def- squad. Yeah, right? he's that. But I can't think of anything that makes him like stand <laughs> out. Or is he? Maybe I'm not even right about that. Um, no, no, he is. Uh, later on, a bunch of the snake-themed villains that Marvel has done over time start realizing, hey, there are other snake-themed oh, villains. Let's have no, a club. Yes, yes, for sure that. But I wasn't sure if the eel was one of them. But I don't know. I thought he was. I don't know either. I do like that he has a supervillain outfit, though. Yes, he has a costume. He's got a costume, and it actually does things like it's slippery. And uh, what, is it, what does it do? I said it shocked Johnny, but is that what it did? It did like a... Yeah, like an electric eel. Electric shock, yeah. I like that Johnny tackled him even without his flame. That was cool, too. I don't think he does that normally. Usually he just acts mm-hmm. like he's completely worthless at that point. But he's like, no, I'm going to keep punching you. Um, yeah, I wish I, they had I made mean, the bomb and nuke. Like, he is, he has no, like, particular origin or motivation other than stealing and apparently being rich and brilliant or something. So, right. I don't know. It was yeah, cool. He's, I don't think there's much to him uh, that I've seen, but he's just one of those, you know, he becomes a part of the Serpent Society. He he actually gets used quite a bit in the later Silver Age with a couple of other guys. I think Cobra. I want to say he teams up with Power Man oh. and such. Oh, okay. I, I could be wrong on that. Um, 
I wish this bomb weren't an atomic bomb. Yes, that's very powerful. Because they're talking about the blast radius, but there's never a single word mentioned about the fallout that could affect the entire city. And it's just like, man. <laughs> and is there no, like, well, I guess it's a tiny little box. Maybe there is no shrapnel or anything involved with that sort of thing. But uh, I feel like if you're holding a bomb and it goes off, it's not just heat you have to worry about. You know, I feel like if you're holding a bomb and it goes off, you're going to die. Yeah, you'd think like <laughs> shards of whatever you're holding would fly yeah, through your chest. All the combinations of everything are going to destroy you. <laughs> I also feel like designing this bomb that's a tiny little square that goes off when you open up the envelope and you have to flip a switch to turn it off all just seems really silly. Like what, and, would, what would be the benefit of that? What When would we need that? I don't know. But <laughs> he's, he's, he's doing something. He's, he's, he's sciencing with it. So it must be important. Yeah. Um, Reed actually wants to help Johnny. Um, and instead of just blowing him off like he usually does in this book. Uh-huh. And then the wizard tries to oh. tries to get out. I forgot about all that. So, yeah, while they're – because there's like four pages of like Johnny is the best. But they also intermingle that with some villains that are like Johnny is the worst, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, we last saw the wizard two issues ago in his team up with Pastepot Pete. Mm-hmm. And uh, here he is saying, let me out of this cell. I can I can find the eel. I have the greatest mind in the in the galaxy. And <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah. wizard. Yeah, yeah, that too. But then later he's also like, the human torch is dying. My only regret is I can't claim the credit. Right. Uh, he only has one more Strange Tales appearance, though. Okay. And after that, he uh, gets a promotion. I love all this thing stuff where he's like, you know, the big guys, always, the big guys are always the one who cry first, right? And he's like totally breaking down that Johnny's might be dying and... Of course, feeling completely guilty about their relationship where they can't actually acknowledge their feelings and stuff. Yes. Um, All that was fun. And then, of course, he throws that all out the window when he's better. It's pretty great. It is great. Yeah. He also had a panel at one point in this comic where it's like this this vertical panel with this teeny tiny thing face at the bottom and 70 (laughs) miles of words. Yeah, that was the bit where, where Johnny sensed the eel's vibration on a letter that the eel wrote. Yeah, and he made a tracker fireball to go after it. They just... Okay, transistors, radiation, magnets, and fire. Johnny Storm's fire, in particular, Uh. are things that Stan does not understand. (laughs) Because apparently you could just do anything with this fire. It's 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 really weird. When he and the eel actually do have a bit of a fight, like, every single step is narrated. But then that um, that explosion, uh, I thought it was a pretty cool page. Yes, it was. I I did sit there, the cynic in me, wondering if he could actually absorb all that and everything. But it was a very uh, kind of powerful sequence. And um, let's see. The radio guy says something about, um, yeah, his son was a patient at the veteran's hospital uh-huh. that the torch saved. And he's uh. like, and now that Spider-Man has rescued my son, John Jameson, I will no longer be an evil publisher against him. Yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah, that's why he's J. Jonah Light, because... Because he actually has a change of heart at the end. He's actually a human being who, you know, processes things and changes his mind. Yeah. Right. And yet we end on some classic thing humor at the end where he's like, I was crazy to promise myself I'd talk nice to the kid. I withdraw my pledge on grounds of temporary insanity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is not the worst issue. I really mostly just think the bomb was silliness all around. Mm -hmm. And, And also that the eel didn't even go there to rob it necessarily. Like he just assumed something there would be valuable, I guess. But, um. And didn't even know what it was when he took it. But otherwise, I mean, yeah, you could argue that Johnny is super silly in the beginning, wanting his hero worship. But that's Johnny. I mean, that's legit how he is in this book and the Fantastic Four. So if you just don't like it, then you just don't like his personality. At least they're consistent. Right. 
Um, and I, God, is this every single issue we've had the Fantastic Four guest stars, or did they skip anything? No, someone from the four is in every issue. Maybe it's just one person, but someone from the four has been in every issue. Yep. Poor Johnny. Yeah. Um, and you turn the page, and there's a story that looks like it's Doctor Strange, but it's not. And you keep on flipping, and there is no Doctor Strange this issue. Crazy oh my talk. god! I'm really glad there isn't because I totally forgot to check if there was. <laughs> so that would have been awkward. But okay. <laughs> well, he's out next issue too. So don't okay. Worry. All right. Yeah, I keep forgetting about that. That there actually could be more than one story in a book that we cover. But I know. Yeah, and just uh, just pause on that for a second because the story we're about to cover is uh, Tales of Suspense 45 and it's extended. It's 18 so, pages long. So this is the one that's longer. Right, right, right. Yes. And this for is the better. Of, I think so. Yeah. I, I agree. I think it is for the better. Um, you know, they're, they're playing with their line. Um, Strange Tales has had two ongoing features, uh, you know, a few months ago. Um, and Tales of Suspense is lengthening its feature story. It is going to be short again next issue, but they went after that. It's going to it's going to be standard eighteen pages until there's a backup feature that's worthy of taking some of those pages back. It might okay. involve some shield slinging, uh-huh. and you know Thor is going to get a backup, and he's going to fill his entire book with Thor stuff. Um, the Giant Man stories are going to get longer. They're going to get little waspy backups. There's lots of stuff they're going to do as the, as the line continues to evolve. They're going to play with their anthology books. Excuse me, who is Giant Man? Uh, Spoilers. <laughs> so Ant-Man has a very short life to live. <laughs> How punny. Um, do we, have we done our last Ant-Man story? I don't know. We'll find out in two more issues. No, 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 two more episodes. One, we, yeah, we have one more Ant-Man story. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's actually going to be three more episodes, but that's okay. That's cool. Uh, Tales of Suspense, 45. Yeah. The Icy fingers of Jack Frost are reaching out for Iron Man. Um, and this is, the, I'm just looking at the cover. This is the issue that introduces Pepper Potts and Happy Hogan, destined to become two of your favorite supporting characters. Okay. So we'll um, see about this, that. <laughs> this is the debut of Jack Frost, who is an ice covered dude. Um, and he shoots ice and basically is Iceman, but as far as his power set goes, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we open up with Iron Man roller skating down the highway. <laughs> yep. At high speed. Because yeah. that's not dangerous at all. He's not even crouching or anything to reduce, reduce wind resistance. He's just like barreling down, you know, vertically. Like, I don't know. Um, he goes to a race. He races. While he's racing, his um, chest device starts to uh, weaken because he forgot to charge it earlier. And uh, we haven't done this a whole lot yet. I think this is the second time where as Tony... He has run out of power mm-hmm. on his chest device. It's causing his heart to go into a cardiac arrest. So he crashes the car. One of the um, watchers of the race runs out to help him, pulls him out of his vehicle, gets him to safety, gets into his own like you know regular car, and um, offers to drive him to the hospital, but or to a doctor. But Tony Stark insists, no, 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 just go to my, take me to my room. And uh, he does, and Tony Stark plugs himself into the wall and gets his, you know, life back. And he's like, huh, wonder who that guy was. Finds out who the guy was and um, calls him over to the motel where he's staying and gives him money for saving his life. And the guy, who is, of course, Happy Hogan, is like, nope, I just knew what I was supposed to do. There ain't no way I'm taking your money. 
And Tony's like, huh, gotta do something for this guy to show my appreciation. Uh, you want a job? I could use a chauffeur. And he's like, okay, if it pays good and has benefits, sure, I'll take it. <laughs> um, Happy Hogan used to be a boxer. He was a boxer and he did not have a very successful career. So when he takes on the chauffeur job and starts meeting some of Tony's people, they kind of razz him a little bit about um, how he was a failed boxer. Tony and Happy show up at Stark Industries or whatever the name of the company is in the comics. And Tony Stark's secretary, who he's had the entire time, um, we just never saw her before, sees Happy. And the first things that she says in the Iron Man comic is making fun of how ugly Happy Hogan is. It's like, you could have brought in anyone. You could have brought in a movie star. You could have brought in, but you brought in someone who looks like that. Oh, my gosh. And Happy Hogan, of course, falls in love at first sight and starts you know, coming on to her. And she's like, no, 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 get away. You make me want to throw up. Um, Tony goes and gets his Iron Man costume just to play around with it, puts it on. And, um, oh, yeah, while he's doing that, there's an alarm that goes off. He checks out the alarm and finds uh, someone down in his basement or something like that and catches him and throws him out. Um, the police show up. Iron Man runs off and changes Tony Stark, comes back as Tony Stark. And this is Dr. Shapenka, who I think used to work for Stark and was fired, maybe. Anyway, How Tony says... How can you remember Shapenka? You're crazy. Shapenka. I actually, I looked up to see what kind of name Shapenka was. Maybe it was Shapanka <laughs> or Shapanka. I wanted the pronunciation. It's okay. a Hungarian name. Okay. Um, and uh, the character is actually later established as being Hungarian. But anyways, so yeah, Shapenka's fired. Tony says, you know, clean out your desk, leave town. Does not throw him out of the country like that one guy did in the Ant-Man story last episode. Um, and so Tony makes some crack about cold feet. Like, you, you, I don't know, don't get cold feet or something. And, and Shepanka's like, oh my God, cold feet. You just gave me the greatest idea. So he goes home and like weeks later, he has this like cold device. And he's like, you can cryogenically freeze people, right? Well, I'm going to cryogenically freeze myself, except I won't freeze. Instead, I want to use that coldness to, like, turn everything cold around me. And I can, you know, do crime that way. So he goes to the bank, puts people in ice, walks off with the money. Um, what? How does Iron Man get there? I guess maybe he later just, like, attaches. He attacks Stark's That's exactly it. office building. He can't, he can't get over Stark being a jerk to him. So he's just going to go directly there to kill him. Right. So Tony turns into Iron Man um, and attacks the guy who the newspapers are calling jack frost um there's some back and forth action and fighting and i think iron man turns his like chest circle into a light beam that also is a heat ray with transistors he can make it a miniature furnace or something Mm -hmm. um and yeah he's he thaws out jack frost melts him down starts thawing out all the people and the police take the bad guy away and Happy Hogan grumbles in the background. Oh, Don Heck, you beautiful, beautiful man. See, I thought the art here was a bit more scratchy and rough than it usually is. It is a little rougher, but I still really like it. I don't know. Well, I think Don he, Heck, is, he's, he's going to define... I mean, he is, he is our Iron Man guy for a he, long time. He's inking himself, so maybe that's why. Maybe he just wants a different style than people, other people have inked him. But he even makes roller skating Iron Man look awesome. I'm sorry. Like, if this was a bad artist, I'd probably be rolling my eyes at roller skating Iron Man. But I actually found this, like, a dynamic opener. 
just because he's just blowing past these two motorcycle cops and just like saluting them like no big deal. Yeah. No, it's uh, fun. It's the, the, the I, I think it's a little bit ridiculous. Oh, but it's ridiculous. As a concept. But it is fun as comics. So well, here's beside the fact that it's a roller skates and that's ridiculous. He even says like, don't worry, people who are reading this comic. If if I were to actually almost hit somebody, I could just fly over them. And it's like, well, then why don't you just fly to begin with? But okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, my only, so he goes th- I could just, I, the only thing I could think of is that I could see Tony Stark making roller skates on an Iron Man costume. I don't know why. Because it's dangerous and fast. Right. <laughs> Which totally ties in with the next scene when he goes uh-huh. to the end of the race. And you know what the race reminded me of? Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2. Yeah. And didn't Happy have to save him there too? Didn't Happy Hogan bring out the suitcase with the Iron Man in it? Happy and Pepper drove out there. And they literally saved him by crashing into Whiplash and giving him time to suit up, essentially. Right. Um, so, yeah. This is a great scene. This is also good art. Like, and I like that we get like some Tony life. This is where the whole expanding to 18 pages thing is working out for me. Because we, right. we don't have to get right to Cleopatra. We can do a little uh, breathing. And we get to see that he is a not just a dashing playboy millionaire, you know, uh, inventor philanthropist guy but he actually likes endangering his life with these motorsport racing things a little bit reckless mm-hmm. i like the little flash he has where he's dying and he thinks boy if only i was iron man right now i could just rip out of this car and it's a great panel of iron man ripping out of the car which is number 13 by the way okay the car number 13 <laughs> um and then happy shows up yeah and, and i like this happy hogan um, I think he's very charming throughout the story. Okay, the- so my question for you is you say this Happy Hogan, which makes me think maybe I'm not wrong in feeling like this is not how Happy always is. Yeah, here he's like irascible. Uh-huh. And then, a f- you know, over the next few issues, he's going to be turning into Mopey. Okay. I just never really thought of him as like a Palooka kind of guy. I don't know why. Uh, okay. I don't know how much Happy I've read. But I didn't realize he was an ex-boxer, and uh, I thought he was just like a guy. But now he's like a Kirby guy, like a Nick Fury thing, that mold. I feel like you get more um, Happy Hogan personality in Spider-Man Homecoming than you do anywhere else. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. And he is kind of a grouchy guy in that. Um, Other than that, like in Iron Man 2, you get his interactions with like... um, you know, Black Widow in the boxing ring and everything. Yeah, I guess he was a boxer in that. I don't. I guess I just never realized he was an ex-boxer or that he was even tough. I thought he was just a like a driver for some reason. But I like yeah. it. I like that um, that he thinks it's crazy that Tony tries to put a price on his own life, rips up the check, um, but then finagles the job because that's what's more important: steady income. Yeah, and like I thought he did a pretty good job of like making that happen. He's like, um, you know. I, as long as the job is worthwhile, as long as it's a job that's going to, you know, pay, then he'll do it. And it has um, to be a good car. It has and to be a I, good car. I love that where he lists all his awesome cars and he's like, well, you know, yeah. those crates will be okay for now. <laughs> yeah, I had a hunch you weren't exactly starving. <laughs> um, so, so whenever we get to the first meeting of Pepper. Nope. We have to – one other thing first. That I knew, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, I knew that? you would skip over because it doesn't matter to anybody. It doesn't matter to 99% of the people listening to this. But if anybody else out there is a baseball fan, I liked the uh, the fact that they were driving through the city and they mentioned the new construction of their 
of a baseball stadium. Uh-huh. In 1963, I guess, 64, that would be Shea Stadium, future, oh. future home of the New York Mets, who were established in 62 and played at the Polo Grounds until they demolished that and they moved to Shea Stadium until 2008. And now they have a new stadium again. But that's kind of a, like a little cool little like landmark in a comic book. And it probably mean, it probably means that Stan or someone in the in in comics was excited that New York was getting a new team. Maybe Don was excited. Maybe, yeah. Maybe he was just drawing like real life stuff, and they had to put dialogue in it. But uh, yeah, Pepper, she's so, evil. She does really come off. I mean, okay. So Happy is this nice guy. He's good in a pinch. He doesn't overreact to Tony's boasting. He just needs a good job. Pepper comes off shrewish. From the word go. My God. It's not. Yeah. It's just that like, you don't have any context for it. The first thing she says is, oh no, with eligible bachelors as scarce around here as dinosaurs, you hire a battle scarred ex-pug. It couldn't be Rock Hudson. No, he has to look like Bela Lugosi. Yeah. And that's our first exposure to her, Pepper. And he hasn't even talked yet. Right. It's That's pretty crazy. It's almost like they already know each other somehow, but. I assume that will never get retconned into a thing. But, um, yeah, I found her really, like, crass and, and not cool. And, of course, that's not a great way to start <laughs> uh, a character that we're supposed to love forever and ever per the cover. But, uh, you know, whatever. I'm sure she and gets if they better. Just shifted, yeah, if they just shifted what she said to after he already made a pass. Yes. Like, if he made the first pass and then she used insults to put him off, that'd be a whole different dynamic. You know, then she's yeah. a woman owning her space, not letting guys mess with her. But here it's there's a couple parts rude. in here, and I'll talk about another one later, where I wonder if we're getting back to that whole they draw everything first and then they put the dialogue in to fit the pictures. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's standard. Totally standard, but sometimes I wonder if that gets mistranslated because like I don't know what other thing could she be doing right here other than looking horrified for her life. She could be thinking some of those thoughts. Yeah. Rather than saying them. Right. She doesn't look mad in the first panel. She looks scared. And then when, yeah. he, then when he hits on her, she turns mad. And I would be fine if that's when it kicks on. Right. But the fact that she says out loud that you are horribly ugly and I've never met you before, that's just like, oh, what the heck, Pepper? Yeah. 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 Anyway, I know this is just going to be the start of a beautiful uh, relationship where they go back and forth insulting each other, much like Thing and Human Torch, probably, until they get married and have sex, much like Thing and Human Torch, probably. So, <laughs> I'm here for it. Bring it on. Make it happen. Oh, uh, he marries a scroll. And, hey, the first Marvel and that's family. his fantasy. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's. Uh, we should point out though, Pepper is madly in love with Tony Stark. Oh yes, she yes, has yes. the hugest crush on him. So she's not only putting off Happy because she's not attracted to him, she's also in her heart at least she is taken. And he calls her Kitty. Yeah. So um, little Me Too movement there, but also maybe like giving her the wrong impression um, because he also later thinks to himself that it's really nice when Happy and Pepper shut up. So he clearly has no particular interest in her. Maybe as a friend or something, but like he never says anything about being into her. Yeah, not at this point. I not think that develops point. later, but it's not here. Sure, right. So I was thinking about you whenever he was pulling out his Iron Man costume because it's all fabricy. Mm-hmm. And like he's got this helmet that's supposed to hard and protect his head, and he's holding it there like a ski mask. Yeah, 
Same with the boot and all that. But yeah. I do like the belt and I do like the I do like that he uh this whole scene is just basically Iron Man showing off being Iron Man, but kind of makes sense because if your whole power is based on on, you know, technology, maybe you should make sure it's up and running once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, and it's this whole business where he goes into the basement and sees who's robbing everything. That's all very um, cool shadows and, and you know, just neat art. Good, good art. Like, I feel like I would like this story much less if it was drawn badly. But oh, so, yeah, probably. Since it's not, I actually mostly enjoyed it. In fact, considering, and- considering the cover is called Jack Frost versus Iron Man or whatever, and I had never heard of a Jack Frost as a character before. Mm-hmm. And since we've already had Cleopatra and, like, underground dwellers and stuff i thought maybe legitimately he was going to be fighting like folklore jack rot frost or something <laughs> and that really made me like oh no so the fact that it was another supervillain, hey another supervillain, another costume yeah yeah in fact um in fact this entire episode has not had a communist or an alien just saying oh my gosh you're right wow so so we're starting now to finally get some like actual challenges that are interesting the larger page count, um, this is halfway through the story before the supervillain of the story even makes his appearance. Uh-huh. Which I think, you know, is pretty great. Who needs a supervillain anyway? I like your point that, like, Tony barely says something about cold. And I was trying to find it myself. Like, where does he say that? And it says, I might get cold feet about releasing you. So it's like that's not even the proper way of using cold feet, really. I mean, I guess it yeah. is, but not really. There's a better way to say that. I might change my mind about releasing you. Yeah, getting cold feet means you're scared. Right. You're nervous about doing something and you're backing out. You're chickening out. Why would he chicken out about releasing somebody? So Right. That was just That's really hand fisted. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's also a really weird trigger. Like the guy totally overreacts. <laughs> cold feet! I will oh take gosh. over the world. <laughs> and I mentioned the synopsis, but he does not make Shapanka leave the country, which is like, isn't that what we're supposed to do? We found that out last episode. When someone robs you, you're supposed to make them leave the country. Well, he doesn't even press charges. Um, right. Yeah. So he pretty much sets himself up for super villainy attacks, but okay. And then um, we get a space of weeks later. Mm-hmm. Now, I often think about continuity. Like whenever I'm reading comics, that's where my brain is a lot of time is how events fit together. So I'm often fascinated when a single comic book story has a huge time jump in the middle of the story. Like Ant-Man did. Like Ant-Man did. Now, my first impulse whenever I read this is think, okay, well, it doesn't really have to be a big time jump forward because everything we read up to this point could actually happen a little bit in the past. Right. Like in between other stuff we've seen. Mm -hmm. Except that here... And in the Ant-Man comic, the one with Trago, it's kind of hard because we've just had a status quo change. Ant-Man just brought on the Wasp a couple issues earlier, and Iron Man just brought in Happy Hogan, and we just met Pepper. So we can't move this scene back. We actually do have to skip forward several weeks in the Iron Man history. Yes. Which, you know, yeah. doesn't really matter too much, but it could. It could. Um, Depending on how you want to read it. It is. And, and you know, they do that so that they can explain how he created this amazing suit, but still weeks doesn't, doesn't really explain anything. No. Um, okay. Can I talk about his, his whole, yeah. Yeah. So explain it. Cause I don't get it. No, it doesn't work. Okay. So page 13, panel three. Okay. He says surgeons even freeze patients on the operating table to ensure their survival during difficult operations. Why not do the same for the purpose of keeping a man young forever? No. Um, 
No, which he goes part? On to say, I, I feel like no all around on that one. Yeah, that's there, you're right. There are several no's there. He goes on to say, I could live forever by lying in an ice vault somewhere, asleep and frozen. What good would that do me? So I'm just going to lower my temperature with a special freezing suit, but I'm not going to be asleep. So he's still freezing himself, just not in an ice block. It's in a suit, but he can still move around because comics. But here's the thing. In 1963... He says surgeons sometimes freeze a body for surgery. Yeah, in the 2010s they do. Yeah. Like, as of 2010, we've been doing things like that. Not in 1963. Yeah. Um, Cryonics and cryogenics was very, very primitive back then. Yeah, I was too lazy to look that up, but it just felt really wrong to me when I read that. You'd have things like a a special probe that would like drain the heat from a from a very small site, so you could reduce your tissues down to freezing temperatures, and that can that can help with like you know removing cancers and stuff. And the idea of freezing bodies was a science fiction idea. Like uh-huh. you have Khan Noonien Singh; he's only four years away right, on right. Star Trek. Right, right. But it's it's not an actual thing yet. And, and for some reason, when I read it, I thought the suit was keeping his temperature up while everything else around him was frozen but you're right it says down so it's like that really mm-hmm. makes no sense yeah so he's low over his body temperature but he's not gonna freeze because reasons so he's uncomfortable constantly <laughs> i guess it's like god it's cold in here and he links it to staying young forever which is not mentioned ever again and also that I, that was a leap in logic like just because we freeze people for surgery that doesn't mean you'll stay young forever but anyway yeah um so we, we've obviously had, in D.C., I assume, um, uh, Mr. Freeze at this point. Captain Cold. And Captain Cold. Captain Cold's probably recent because he's, Bar- um, he's a Barry Allen the, villain, right? Yeah, but The Flash has been around since uh, for a few years now. 59 or 58 or something? F- 56 was his first. But he, got his, he got his regular series in, yeah, like 58 or 59. Okay, so Cold, cold villainy is not new. Um, does Jack Frost become a regular? Because I've never heard of him before. Okay, so he gets a name change. Ah, What's he his? is Blizzard. Okay, that maybe sounds more familiar. Does he get a new costume? Yeah, yeah, he gets a new costume. Okay. Um, it's kind of funny because he actually mentions that Jack Frost is kind of a corny name when he hears it on the news. He's not going to keep that corny name. I did and like that. That. Rem- that reminds me, this is actually a something of an MCU connection. Okay. Uh, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., in the first season, um, Fitz and Simmons go back to like S.H.I.E.L.D. Academy and they meet some students there who are working on some things, and one of them is a cryogenics freezing device. Mm. And Donnie Gill um, ends up getting affected by the freeze uh, things and gets turned into a freeze villain. Um, and Donnie Gill is the next Blizzard who shows up in the comics like around Iron Man 300 or something. Um, so... He is the second version of this character, and he was also adapted into the MCU and Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was in a season one episode and a season two episode. Okay. I like that he hated his, his name. Yeah. Yeah, he did. I thought it was silly, too. I didn't like that whenever the police tried to shoot him, he made their bullets melt. <laughs> or free. He made their bullets freeze. Sorry. Hey, if it works, if, if you can make them melt, why can't you make them freeze, I guess, right? Yeah, but they're already frozen. They are, they are solid metal. So yeah. he's gonna make I don't he's know. gonna make them cold metal. <laughs> I don't know how that stops the projection from yeah, uh, I don't, I don't going through either. his body anyway. But uh, so there's this bit where Happy Hogan almost walks in on Iron Man changing, or does walk in on Iron Man changing, right? Because he's not just Iron Man's chauffeur; he's his bodyguard supposedly. 
Is he his bodyguard too? I believe he hired him for both. Okay. Because this is before they established that Iron Man is then his bodyguard. Right. He's just friend. He, in fact, it says in this issue that he uses his friendship with Iron Man. He talks that up uh-huh. to make it seem less convenient for Iron Man to just show up and Tony Stark disappear. <laughs> right. And he says that because they're walking by a big portrait of Iron Man in his office. So that's kind right. of funny. It's like a giant, like more than life-size portrait of Iron Man. On the wall. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Happy like busts in and he sees the back of Iron Man's or Tony Stark's head as he puts on the helmet. Mm-hmm. And then just then Jack Frost freezes. So let's put a pin in that because in the end I want to ask you. Okay, okay. Put a pin in that. uh, While we're on that page, though, at the top, meanwhile, outside, clang, 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 clang. Hey, what's that? The bell's so soon? I I have my minute snooze between rounds. It's Jack Frost, you idiot. He's here to get Mr. Stark. Look at him. He's blocking the entrance with an ice wall. Um, um, Mike? Yeah? What's clanging? What's clanging there? (laughs) Uh, Seems like it should be the bullets or something, but I don't know who's shooting. Yeah, and do bullets say clang? I, if they maybe they maybe if they hit an ice wall, I don't know. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Bad sound effect. Yeah, it's really really weird. Is it? Um, does his machine that shoots ice make clanging noises? I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, it's an alarm. Is there an alarm? Like, did they start an alarm? Let me see. Don't worry about me, Pepper. Just stay out of the way till help arrives. And he presses a clicky button. In the previous page. It, oh, you know what? That the two panels earlier. Sound the alarm. It's that Jack Frost. Oh, okay, the okay, okay. There we go. Clink, clink, clink. Okay, so they do have an alarm going on. That makes sense. I read that. and I was like, oh my gosh, what is clanging? It's a business. Kind of makes sense. It's a high security, yeah. or you know, a business that makes manufacture or manufactures weapons. So, um, and the fight with Jack Frost is like the least interesting part of the story. <laughs> yeah, and it's not very long, and you kind of re- you kind of figure like Iron Man could totally beat this guy if it ever comes down to it. And he, right. does, he pretty much does. I mean, it's like, yeah, you emit heat with your lasers all the time. So how would this be a problem? It's the first time I think that he's used his chest circle as part of his like arsenal. It's not a unibeam. It's just a light and he can make it hotter. Wow. Is that the first time? Yeah, you could be right about that. Interesting. I wonder what they intended it to be up until this point. Just I don't a, know. Just a design? It's a cool design element, but I, 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 I don't... I don't understand what's happening exactly, why, why he's carrying these people away and stuff into this like ice cave or something i don't get that like mm. while, while jack frost is melting why doesn't he just melt and it's over but instead it's like now i gotta move all these ice people away it's like actually wouldn't you want them near the heat also so it would melt i mean how did happy get out of that maybe out to the sun <laughs> i don't know that was just i don't know he just weird. says out of the office i gotta get him out of the all these people he froze i gotta get him out of the office okay yeah while well, he heats the office up it's like yeah but they're frozen you'd want them to stay there but okay. Anyway, so here we come to the last panel. Now I got to ask you a question again. Remember that Happy almost saw Iron Man, or almost saw Tony Stark as Iron Man, and we were just talking about how sometimes they draw things, and then the dialogue comes in, and I'm not sure if they match. Do you think Happy here is really supposed to be thinking something suspicious, like I wonder if Tony Stark is Iron Man, where instead they just like wimped out and said, I hope Iron Man's around all the time. Because he looks awfully suspicious, and he's looking at Iron Man, and he's rubbing his chin. No, I I like the point. I didn't think about that. But yeah, you totally could be right that Don Heck drew it for Happy to immediately suspect Iron Man's secret identity, and then maybe Stan like, pulled the plug on that. Yeah. Um, that's a really, really, really good point. Because before I read the caption, I looked at the panel and thought, oh boy, Happy figures out about Iron Man already? And then I read it and was kind of disappointed. Like He just doesn't really say anything about it. 
I, I just recently read because my personal MCU reading is about two years ahead of this. Mm-hmm. And I just recently read the issue where he reveals, where he figures out that Tony is Iron Man. So it takes two years. So, yeah, so it does happen during the suspense run, but it takes a while. I think it was supposed to happen in this issue, but oh well, we'll never know. I believe you. I think that's a pretty good, good thought. But yeah, um, I don't know. Pretty good issue. Actually, considering what we've had, like I feel like I really was excited about Iron Man when he first showed on the scene. And that first issue was so movie-like and awesome. And then like we've been getting Cleopatra and... Gargantus. And, and Gargantus and the, the, the Atlantis ripoff or Atlantis wannabes or whatever. And it's like, ah, so now that he has a villain and he fought the villain and we got to see some Tony Stark life and got new characters, it was more fun. Yeah, I feel like this issue marks a shift in the character mm-hmm. um, towards some much more imaginative, um, maybe not imaginative, but just, just different storytellings. Now, it might be worth pointing out here that the script was actually Robert Bernstein, not Stan Lee. So I don't want to say Stan Lee pulled the plug on the Happy Hogan idea when it might have been Robert Bernstein. Right. Um, and Bernstein doesn't usually give us good plots, but no, no. The credit says the plot was Stan Lee, mm-hmm. the script was Bernstein, um, and Don Heck drew it. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty good. Okay. Pretty good. It was like, you know, medium good. We'll see. We'll see when we do our tally at the end of the month. But Well, we are um, we are near the end of another episode. We have certainly done our quota. Uh-huh. And um, I guess I should thank some people. Sure. For following us on Twitter and all those kinds of things. So while I'm bringing that up, uh, Mike, where can they get in touch with us and send us uh, love letters and everything? Well, definitely send love letters. We we did our first uh, mailbag episode, released it a couple weeks ago as of this recording, I think. And I think it was fun. I'd like to see more letters. So if you could send those to podcast at makearsmarvel.com. We've had a few come in since we released that episode. So maybe that inspired people to to try and get us to talk about them. Because I like when people talk about me on podcasts too. Um, you could also use our form at makearsmarvel.com where you will also find a post with images for each episode. And, of course, you'll find the links to all the feeds and various ways to subscribe. Or if you're just like you just like listening to podcasts through the browser, you can just click play right there, too. All right. Well, I have um, – we've gotten a lot of likes lately. Mm-hmm. People are talking about us maybe, spreading the word. I don't know. Awesome. And I'm not entirely sure where I left off. Um, I feel like I've thanked Joe Crawford, and I feel like I've thanked Lori Suto – I don't think I've thanked Robert McDonald. <laughs> I would remember that one, I think. Okay. And um, Carter, uh, he's the host of the cast for Casters, Blasters, and Grandmasters. Wow. Come for the comics, Star Wars, and X-Files. Stay for the subpar commentary. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, we have Kev Beatty, who is at I am Zod Neil. And I think oh. I did tell a story about him. So I think we have talked about him. But, yeah. but Kev is... Uh, and Marvel Universe MMO. Okay, those all seem familiar. Um, Moncton Spidey, um, featured on Cosplay Zine, Men vs. Cosplay. I guess he's a cosplayer, which makes sense because his profile pic is him wearing um, a Deadpool mask with a Spider-Man. No, it's it's the it's the like the um, homemade Spider-Man outfit where oh, he has like the goggles and yeah, the hoodie yeah. and everything. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, um, Darian Graham. James, he is the uh, managing editor of a Hotel. Uh, Slangword Scott, Kevin Ludlam. We have Firestorm Fan, which is Shag from the Fire and Water Network, has followed us. Welcome, Shag. 
A man who goes by the name of Bakeman, Mike Zumo, host of the Man of Screen podcast, who has followed us both in his civilian identity and under the Man of Screen podcast. Uh, wow, you just outed him. Handle. I did, I did. And then Relatively Geeky, which is Relatively underscore Geek, which is the Relatively Geeky podcast network producing a range of podcasts, including Shortbox Showcase, Quarterbin Podcast, Comics Reading Journal, and more. That is Professor Alan Middleton and his family member, M. Middleton. They uh, they make a lot of podcasts over there at the Relatively Geeky Network. That's pretty great. Um, then on the Facebook page, gotten some Facebook. Oh, at Twitter, we just passed 100 follows recently. Oh, wow. Like in the last 24 hours, actually. Awesome. So that's pretty great. Yeah. Um, on Facebook, we have... Um, Shag Matthews, Joe Fishman, Kyle Slaby, and Mike Zumo over here as well have followed us on the Facebook. So thank you everyone for your support. Really, really, really appreciate all the likes and follows and the retweets, uh, retweeting our new episodes every week. That has been fantastic. And, you know, send us emails telling us what you like, what you don't like, all that other stuff. Exactly. And review us on iTunes. Yeah, we got one. Oh, we did? Okay, cool. It's yeah, working. So that's, 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 that's pretty cool. It does. Yeah, the, the review button works, guys. All are trying it. I meant all are begging, but yeah, good. That works, too. <laughs> um, so next episode, we have annuals. That's going to be fun. And until then, until Peter Parker fakes more photos and Jonah fires him for it. Make ours marvel. marvel.